Hey everyone, Joe Bowen, the voice of the Toronto Maple Leafs here, inviting you to join a very special podcast, 30 Minutes Live with CDP. It's every Wednesday and Friday night on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Good evening, everybody, or good afternoon, should I say, everyone. Welcome to Live with CDP podcast on this Wednesday, November 10th. Uh, I'm looking forward to my uh, podcast today, uh, Season 2, Episode 23, with uh, Mike Ross, uh, the uh, public address announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs and longtime radio personality as well in Ottawa and Toronto. And uh, I really appreciate Mike uh, coming on today. Mike will be my uh, third public address announcer to come on. I've had Tim Langdon come on, uh, the Blue Jays PA announcer, and then Tommy Edwards, the uh, legendary Bulls PA announcer, and now uh, one of the best PA announcers in the National Hockey League uh, with an original six team in the Toronto Maple Leafs and Mike Ross. So just give me one moment, folks, and I will bring on the uh, PA announcer for the Maple Leafs. And I'm looking forward to speaking to Mike today. And uh, one second, I'm going to bring him right on. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. How was your day? You had a good day? I did. Yeah, always, uh, yes. always a good day, especially on these ones when we're uh, we're getting ready for a game. I was going to say, and uh, I guess the Leafs are playing tonight against the Flyers in the city of brotherly love tonight. Yep. So it's one of those nights where we get to, uh, on, on my end of things anyway, get to uh, be a fan. Hunker down, have a cold drink, some snacks, put on the uh, the big TV, and uh, cheer as loud as I can. Okay. Hey, just to let you know, don't hold it against me. I am a lifelong Red Wings fan, but uh, like I said, uh, I'm just glad the Red Wings are back in the same conference as the Leafs. And I do think in the next year or two, the Red Wings and the Leafs will meet up in the playoffs again. It's been a long time since they have. Uh, it's a pretty long-standing rivalry, and uh, certainly – in the uh, the years that I've been with the Maple Leafs uh, as the public address announcer, uh, it is uh, always great uh, when we have Montreal, Boston. Uh, the uh, we get the Red Wings coming, the uh, the Rangers, Chicago. The the original six games are always really special. And with Detroit, I mean, next to Buffalo, it's the the next closest rival. Um, you know, as far as going back sort of historically of course ottawa uh in uh, in the 90s and in 2000s and, and on but uh for that original six flavor there's nothing like a good uh toronto and detroit matchup that's for sure And I was going to say, Mike, what a difference a year makes, uh, have it being the PA announcer with a full capacity crowd instead of an empty arena like they were last year. It's uh, definitely a different feeling. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I have announced for some sports in the past where there were very, very, very small crowds, but never no crowd at all. So that was uh, a little bit different. Uh, and, and, you know, necessary, obviously just glad that we've sort of moved on from that. And, uh, I think doing what we do as far as entertaining fans, it's, uh, it, it, we were very, very, very fortunate to continue working through last year, but we're all really, really happy to have fans back in the building and, and cheering and, and being able to entertain them. That's at the end of the day, that is what we do. We, we are there to entertain. And I was going to say, and I'm lucky too, because I'm back volunteering with Rogers as a, a camera operator for the goal storm games. And it's really nice to be back in a hockey arena and doing something that I really enjoy. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, at, at, at all kinds of different levels, we've missed out for the last, uh, you know, year and a half now more than year and a half. And, um, on, on so many different things, right. So on some levels, it's just the interpersonal relationships, being with our, our, our colleagues in the workplace, visiting our families, uh, and our friends. And, uh, a lot of that has come back, but the, the, there's still a few things that we're sort of straggling behind as far as, uh, as opening up and sports was one of those. And it was nice to, you know, be able to get a few people in the building last year in our final playoff game of the uh, of the season, but to really get a, a boisterous, loud, and uh, and an energetic crowd in the building has really made a big difference for us. And I was going to say this, Mike. Uh, I was born in the seventies. Um, I'm a huge radio fan, huge TV fan, but to me, the public address announcers uh, should get a little bit more love because, like I said, you guys are. What the you guys are what the fans identify uh, with the team when you come into the arena? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, um, I I'm from an era uh, like you where you know you 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 identified uh, the 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 public address announcer of your team. You knew who it was, and and certainly for me growing up, uh, a Maple Leafs fan, Paul Morris being the voice of the Leafs at the time. But I can think of, uh, about other teams like Claude Mouton in Montreal. Uh, and you think about the New York Yankees, for example, and Bob Shepard. That's another guy that I grew up uh, you know, hearing on TV and uh, got a chance to hear him live at Yankee Stadium a couple of times, which was great. Um, th- there, there's just something kind of neat about, um, about those voices of, of stadiums and arenas. And I know that for me... Um, you know, the, when I got a chance to to go into uh, to, to Maple Leaf Gardens and hear Paul Morris and when I got a chance to hear Andy Frost at the Air Canada Center and and hear Bob Shepard at Yankee Stadium, it it added to my, you know, experience as a fan of being in the building and hearing them. And uh, it's it is part of the soundtrack, you know, of, of, of my youth as a, as a sports fan, as a Leafs fan. So I certainly hope that I, I bring that for our fans, uh, both at uh, the arena and those that are watching on TV, listening on the radio. Um, you know, ultimately, the show is what is happening on the ice. I mean, those guys are the mm-hmm. stars, but I hope that I'm able to bring a little, a little something to the evening, whether you're taking the game in in person or if you're checking it in uh, or checking in on it on television or the radio. Well, like I said, being a Red Wings fan, uh, growing up listening to Bud Lynch on the Republic Address announcer mm-hmm. at the Joe Louis Arena, and then uh, even though I live in Guelph, um, I'm a Blue. I like the Blue Jays too. I'm a Tigers fan. Um, the Blue Jays used to identify with Murray Eldon at Exhibition Stadium, and then yep. uh, since 2005, Tim Langdon. And, and I, I just, like I said, it's I'm just so appreciative of you being able to uh, come on today. And like I said. Uh, the PA guys, uh, I think, should get a little more uh, uh, attention because, like I said, I think you guys all do a great job. Every arena, each stadium, you identify with the team, with the PA announcer as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Tim Langdon and I worked together about 20 years ago um, back at the uh, the old Chum uh, Sports Radio Network in uh, in Toronto. And um, 
so we got to reconnect a little bit a couple of seasons ago at a Blue Jays game. I got to uh, go and go up and uh, and visit Tim. And unfortunately, this year Tim came to a game uh, with uh, his daughter, and because of COVID protocol, I couldn't have him up to the booth. So I'm really looking forward to be able to uh, to to return that favor and have Tim come by my booth. But I did get a chance to meet Bud Lynch um, back wow. in night. Uh, sorry, back in 2008. I was going to say 1998, but that's a little too far. Uh, 2008, uh, Stanley Cup final. I was covering the final uh, for NHL Network Radio and Detroit and Pittsburgh, and we were going back and forth. Jim Taddy and I were going back and forth from Detroit to Pittsburgh, covering both ends of that to Stanley Cup. And I, I remember the first day that we were at Joe Louis Arena, and we were set up in the press box doing our radio show from there. And over to uh, to our left is a gentleman starting to sort of set up his workstation. And I didn't know who it was. And then he did a mic check and we all knew who it was, which was really cool. Um, so he did such a great job for so many years uh, for the Red Wings. And of course, I know uh, Eric uh, Freeney, who uh, uh, took over from Bud. Um, and, uh, you know, it's let's face it now. There's 32 teams, so the the the, the club got a, l- a little bit bigger, but there's only 32 PA announcers in the National Hockey League. So there is a certain exclusivity to that. And for me, uh, I'm I'm just the fourth in the history of the Maple Leafs. So the the history and the exclusivity of that doesn't escape me. It's they're they're big shoes to fill. Uh, every single day, and I'm I'm quite fortunate and quite honored to do it. I was going to say Red Barber, Paul Morris, and Andy Frost, and yourself. That's just amazing because the Leafs have been around what close to over a hundred years now. I believe the Leafs have that's been right. Over my years. my first season was the centennial season, so yeah, over a hundred years and uh, only only four announcers and and good stretches too, right? I mean, Paul Morris, thirty nine years. Uh, Andy Frost, 17 years. Yep. Uh, that's uh, that's a big chunk of change for uh, for those guys. And um, you know, you 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 identify you identify Leaf teams certainly by the 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 the, the voice that sort of accompanied them, right? So yep. you you certainly have you know the voice of the Maple Leafs in, in Joe Bowen, and then you've yep. got the voice of the Leafs at the rink in the arena that you sort of attach to the building itself. And um, yeah, it, it was, it was something that um, when I got the job, I can remember um, my dad calling me up afterwards and like a couple of days after I told him, and my dad's not a big sports fan, but he said, uh, he said, you know, you're only the fourth guy to have this job in the whole history of this team. And I just thought it was really cool that for a guy who wasn't really big into sports, my dad really sort of grasped uh, the, the enormity of it and, uh, and just how special it was. So that was cool. That was special for me. I was going to say, and even talking to Tommy Edwards and Tim Langdon, um, a lot of the guys in this public address announcer in sports and all of major sports a lot of them seem to spend a long time doing it obviously they love doing it and there's one guy i would love to have on my podcast one day and that's 
Dan Baker. He's been the Philadelphia Phillies public address announcer since I was born in 1972. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Philadelphia, I mean, Lou Nolan uh, has been doing it, I believe now. I think this is Lou's 50th year uh, doing it for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, you got wow. the Phillies. Uh, you've got uh, Michel Lacroix in Montreal. He's been doing it since 1994. I want to say 94, but it might have even been before that. It might have been like all the way back into the 80s because Michel took over from Claude Mouton and then uh, then he got out of it and then came back to it. So, so in and out there, I mean, Michel uh, has been doing it in Montreal for good golly. I'm got to, I got to think probably 40 years. So it's uh, yeah. If, if, if you're lucky enough to get into it um, and you're lucky enough to hang on, it can be something you can do for a long, long time. And think about a guy like Bob Shepard uh, with the New York Yankees. I believe Bob did it for, I want to I want to throw the number out of 60 years, but I might be off on that. But he certainly saw a lot of baseball games and he was also doing New York Giants football at the same time. Yep. Like you, you go back and you read the bio of a guy like Bob Shepard. He was the P announcer yep. for like two or three different teams at the same time, which is just incredible. You don't hear a lot of guys doing that nowadays. Um the only guy that that I can really think of as far as doing it for two pro teams on a regular basis right now or, or at one point uh, in modern times, Alan Roach, the voice of the Colorado Rockies, um, he also was the Colorado Avalanche. And I believe mm-hmm. he did 13 seasons for the Rockies, all the while doing the Avalanche games and doing the Denver Broncos. And uh, he was the voice of the NFL. So he did uh, Super Bowls. Um, he did the games, the NFL games in Europe. He did the Pro Bowl game, the Hall of Fame game. So he was the the the, the NFL's official big voice, much the way Al Murdoch from Vancouver, from the Canucks, is the official big voice of the NHL for their events. Uh, Al Roach he, is the guy for the NFL. And... I mean, he's so good that even though he left the Rockies and and then was sticking to the NFL and the NHL, the Minnesota Vikings, his hometown, so the team that he cheered for growing up, wanted him so badly. They hired him as their PA announcer, and they fly him into Minnesota the week of a game to have him do their game. And then he goes back home to Denver and does picks up where he left off with the Colorado avalanche. Uh, Like when you've got an NFL team that is flying you in to go to work, that's pretty impressive. And um, you know, look it up. Alan Roach, what a voice. This guy is good. And I, I mean, I'm talking Olympics. I'm talking world championships. Uh, I got a chance to work with him on baseball during the Pan Am games in Toronto in 2015. Um, just a, just a thrill to work alongside uh, a pro like that. So, so there are guys who can, who can make really good long careers at it. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm into my sixth season, so I got a long way to go, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed. One year at a time.
And I was going to say, uh, there's one gentleman in Chicago that does a really good job with the Blackhawks and the White Sox, Gene Honda. Absolutely. I, I mean, the, listen, like I said, you've got 32 teams across, uh, you know, the National Hockey League. You've got the 32 teams in the NFL. You got all the teams in Major League Baseball. It's it's not like there's a million of these jobs. And so to to, to think back to the process I went through to, to land this job with the Maple Leafs, um, like there's, there's no way I ever dreamed I was going to uh, come out of this at the end, uh, having, you know, won the job. Um, but I mean, I was invited to take a shot at it. So I did. I mean, I, I would have been a fool not to, um, but certainly at no point in my career as a, a, a public address announcer for, <coughs> excuse me, for sports, did I, did, did the Maple Leafs gig ever even cross my mind? I mean, I never even thought being, I, I never really thought beyond the job I was doing, right? So whether I was doing university football, you know, and then going on to junior hockey from junior hockey and, and doing professional baseball, I never really thought any further. I was just in, in the now. Now today doing the Maple Leafs, I mean, there's, there's nothing else I, I would dream of thinking about. I mean, for me, growing up a Maple Leafs fan, this is the dream job. Uh, this is the biggest stage. So I'm really, really fortunate, really lucky to be where I'm at. And uh, I just, I'm just thrilled that I, I keep showing up game in and game out, swiping my pass, and it still works. <laughs> it still lets me in the building. This was going to be one of my later questions, but I was going to ask you. Um... I'm always asking now since we we're bringing this up, how did this process go? I, I guess they uh, they didn't sign Andy Frost, and then what happened? Did somebody from the the Leafs organization contact you, Mike, or um, and or somebody contact you, Mike, or did you end up having to contact the Leafs? How does that work uh, when there's an opening? So in this case, um, you know, sometimes these things get posted. Um, and with the Leafs going into that centennial season, um, they sort of had made it known um, by sort of publicly announcing, hey, we're looking for a new anthem singer. We're looking for new hosts. And these things were posted and they ran uh, auditions. I think you know, uh, Martina Ortiz Luis, who won the anthem job, I think she was one of 200 or 250 people that showed up at uh, open auditions at, uh, at the rink. So, I mean, it was just, it's just mind blowing the number of people uh, that, uh, that were interested in, in, you know, going out and trying out for these, these positions for me. Um, I was invited. So I, I, I got a call from, um, from uh, Taylor Dean, who is now my boss, my immediate boss. She is our game presentation manager and game director. Uh, at the time, uh, she was just starting that position. And I first met her when I worked for Hockey Canada and MLSE as the public address announcer for the World Junior Championship in 2014-2015. And... Because that was a co-presentation 
of Hockey Canada and MLSE. It was sort of a mix of people from both organizations that were working there. And I managed to get myself an audition for that job because I was bilingual, uh, because I'm perfectly bilingual, knowing that Hockey Canada always had a French announcer and an English uh, announcer for uh, for the, the World Junior Tournaments when they were held in Canada. I called them up and uh, managed to get myself an audition, and then I won the job. So, you know, I end up working for two and a half weeks, you know, right next to a whole bunch of people who worked in game presentation for the Maple Leafs. So um, that was that was a, sort of a, a good introduction, uh, a good chance to sort of let people see what I what I'm capable of doing. Um, but what's important to note is at that point. You know, I'd been living in Toronto for, geez, I guess about 13 years. And the only announcing I had been doing was for the Ottawa Senators as a backup to their announcer. So I was doing roughly three to five or six games a year for them. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And... um and in the Toronto area, there were no jobs. There were every team had an announcer. There were no openings. There were no opportunities. So, you know, I was just doing my thing, filling in for the guy in Ottawa, not really thinking about announcing uh, anymore. It wasn't really something that I was paying much attention to. And then uh, suddenly, the job with the Maple Leafs opens up, and uh, so so they called me and and asked me if I'd be interested in auditioning, and of course you jump at that, you don't turn it down. And I went out and did a live read at the arena. I was one of, I believe, 22 people that did the same. So everybody got their turn at the rink. You, you sit at the mic and you read the script that they give you. And then they pair that down from 22 to five. Then they paired that down from five to two. And the final two had a one-on-one -on -one interview with the uh, game presentation director for uh, MLSE with the uh, vice president of, uh, of marketing and fan experience and with Brandon Shanahan, the president oh. of the Maple Leafs. So, um, you know, I went in there on a Friday afternoon and I'd say about I think two or three o'clock and for about 45 minutes, answered questions, asked questions of my own. And uh, then it was uh, eight more days of, uh, of anxious uh, waiting and uh, finally getting the call on, uh, on a Saturday afternoon uh, telling me that, uh, that I'd had the job. So, so it was a long process start to finish was probably about a month, month and a half. Um, and I was, you know, on one hand, super nervous about the whole thing from beginning to end. But at the same time, you know, just blown away every time I'd get a call saying, all right, you made it to the next, uh, to the next phase and to the next phase. And then, all right, you made the final two. And so now you got to come in for an interview, uh, with, uh, with Brendan. And it was just like, whoa. Um, <laughs> uh, so it certainly was, uh, a, a nerve wracking summer. It was a, a, a summer where I, my mind was sort of racing the whole time. Um, but it was a very interesting process to go through. And uh, if I ever write a book about my life, that certainly gets its own chapter. No doubt about that. 
What was it like meeting Brandon Shanahan? Because I'm a huge rowing fan, and he helped us win three cups in the uh, uh, 90s and early 2000s. And uh, when they did announce that you did get the job, did you get a phone call, or did you have to go into the arena and, and talk to somebody there? So, okay, I had been at NHL Radio uh, for 10 years at that point, hosting a morning show, afternoon drive show. And yet I'd never, I'd, I, I'd, I'd seen Brendan before, you know, having covered uh, the Stanley cup final, um, having been to NHL events, um, uh, having, you know, at that point he had already worked at the NHL as head of uh, player safety. So I, I'd, I'd seen all that, but I, I had never interviewed Brendan Shanahan. I mean, I interviewed Wayne Gretzky at least three times, but I'd never, ever talked to Brendan Shanahan before. So I was extremely nervous going into that meeting. Um, and, and just, just knowing that here's the guy who really is at the, at the head of this, this sort of, rebranding if you will of of the maple leafs and of the game uh presentation uh aspect of the game you know this was a time when there was a new logo they were getting set to unveil the the top 100 players in team history it was the centennial season you know everybody heard the word shanna plan uh you know so so there's a tremendous amount uh of of influence that this guy has and and gravitas that this guy has and he walks into the room there's a there's a presence there there really was i was just like wow this is this is really cool and um so to have him sit down and 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 you know asking me uh, about me and and then some of his follow-up questions on, on things that were asked of me were really interesting. Um, and it was really cool because some of the questions I was asked um, were, were similar to, to things that you've asked here, you know, and, and, and other people certainly over the years have asked, <coughs> for example, you know, who are some of the PA announcers that may have had an influence on, on you and on, on your career and, you know, talking about different guys. And then at one point mentioning Claude Mouton in Montreal and, and Brendan just saying how he remembers how Claude would announce his name. And he said, like, he said, he did it in a way that was just, it was just cool to hear your name being, uh, you know, announced over the speakers at the Montreal forum. Um, and so it was, it was neat in the moment for me, how my answers seem to be resonating uh, with Brendan um, but you know, again, I walked out of that meeting and headed down to the ghost train platform to go home. And I did not think that I had the job. I really didn't. And, um, you know, eight days later, I'm out for lunch with my parents who were visiting from Ottawa and I get a call from Anton Wright, who's the director of game presentation for MLSE. And, um, you know, he just, 
he says, listen, uh, you know, we, we want to offer you the position of uh, public address announcer with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so, you know, we're just, I'm blown away. Um, I, 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 I'm literally knees are shaking. Um, and so we go over a few sort of generalities and stuff and we, basically just establish okay you know this is saturday afternoon so listen let's talk on monday and we'll go over different details and such and um and the last thing he said to me before hanging up the phone was welcome to the toronto maple leafs and i mean wow yeah exactly i mean the i almost dropped my phone uh, I still get oh. shivers uh, up and down my arms when I uh, w- when I tell that story. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the the movie The Natural, and there's a similar scene where um, Roy Hobbs is getting his uniform, and the guy hands him his hat, and it fits perfectly, and he says, "Welcome to the majors." And that was my that was my welcome to the majors moment, where you know. I'm told welcome to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it was just like, wow. So that was, uh, that was the moment. And um, every day I'm telling you, man, every day since then I end up at some point just sort of pinching myself, doubting whether, you know, is this, is this still for real? Like, is someone going to come in at some point and just sort of tap me on the, on the shoulder and say, Sorry, we you know we made a mistake, and uh, it's time for, time for you to go now. Uh, I hope not. I hope not because I'm just having too much fun. I was gonna say, and uh, it's just that's really special to, like I said, to, to become a PA announcer for any pro sports team, but especially original six team like the Leafs as well. Well, what's really special about it for me, you know, beyond the, the original six thing, is that this is the team I grew up cheering for. Um, my grandfather was a Maple Leafs fan. He brought me up a Maple Leafs fan. Like I said earlier, my, my, my dad, my mom, they weren't sports fans. So it's not like they were sitting there watching hockey night in Canada on Saturday nights. My grandfather was. So I was at his house next door watching the game with him. And if we weren't watching sports, we were outside playing sports. He had this nice long covered driveway. Um, so I mean, the hockey net was, everything was stored in his garage. And he was a former goalie with the Canadian army. So that's, that's what we did. You know, we played hockey together all the time. We played baseball together. We watched all kinds of sports, any, any sport that was on television, we watched. And and so that's where I really got most of my love of sports was from my grandfather. So, um, you know, the sad thing for me was that, he had passed on years before I got the Leafs gig um, because that would have been like, that would have been awesome. I got a chance to take my grandfather to an NHL game in Ottawa in 1998. He had not been to a live NHL game in 50 years. Um, So to share that with him was pretty awesome. Um, And one of his other grandsons, my little cousin, Alex Marsha, is the DJ for the Ottawa Senators. And he got that job um, a couple of years before my grandfather passed away. So so he got to see one of his grandsons basically make it to the NHL. 
Um, and it, I, I, it's the one regret I have about, the, about timing and how things sort of just worked out that boy, I, I really would have loved um, being the PA announcer for the Maple Leafs and having the guy who, who introduced me to the Leafs, brought me up on the Leafs, uh, watched so many games with me over the years. I would love to have had him in the building uh, for one game uh, to hear me doing a Maple Leafs game. But, uh, uh, you know, that that's what really made it special for me that I I literally did have Maple Leafs pajamas as a kid. And I had, a, you know, my Leafs jersey with number 10 on it uh, for Vincent Domfus. Um, you know, I, I had the Maple Leafs pennant in my room. That was my team. That was my team growing up. And, and, you know, they're, they came, they came to me with an opportunity that I never would have dreamed would have been mine. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just so thrilled. I was going to say one day, I'm sure you could, I hope you write a book because if you do, I'll buy it. Cause I'm sure with all your, uh, your career on radio and then just becoming the public address announcer for the leaf, you have a lot of, uh, great stories to share. If you ever do decide to write a book. No doubt there, there, there are a lot of stories. Every, pretty much every radio job I've ever been at has been a startup. So basically the equivalent of starting an expansion team, um, and, and I've, I've just had, I've had a great time everywhere I've worked. Um, and then the, the number of sports teams I've worked for and some of the legendary people I've worked with, uh, over the years, I've been really, really quite fortunate. So, yeah, I think somewhere along the line, um, you know, there, there could be, uh, a, a story or two that could uh, go, uh, uh, make it onto, uh, make it into a book. It's, uh, for me, it's it's a question of um, maybe finding someone. Maybe my buddy, my old buddy Stephen Brunt would would write it for me. Uh, we could do a project together again. Okay. Stephen and I got a chance to work together uh, back at Chum Radio as well. So I don't know. Maybe if it, maybe Steve would would be willing to write it for me. But there are definitely a lot of stories, whether it be radio or announcing in sports, that uh, uh, that would be able to put uh, put together kind of a kind of a neat read, no doubt. Um, are you still okay for time? Because I was just going to ask you some questions. Okay, perfect. Um, I was going to say the first one I wanted to ask you, Mike, is can you tell my audience just a little bit about yourself? And when did you decide you wanted to pursue a career in the radio industry? Um, I didn't, I, I can't say that I really um, ever thought of radio as a career. Uh, I always I've always enjoyed radio. I think the earliest memories I have of of l sort of listening to the radio was growing up as a Montreal Expos fan and listening to Dave Van Horn do their games on the radio. And I can I, I had a radio um, in my bedroom. I can I, I can still see it. It was uh, it was an older. So this big sort of rectangular brown wooden uh, exterior. And I would have it on uh, Expos games and I would fall asleep with this radio under my pillow. And I know, it, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's the absolute truth. And I can remember waking up at night at like two or three in the morning because my radio would still be on. Like we didn't have, you know, the radios then didn't shut off automatically the way some of them do now. And suddenly 
what's on the radio overnight on that local radio station is old time radio uh, shows. So stuff like the shadow Boston Blackie, right? Stuff that nowadays I listen to on the classic radio channel on satellite radio, which I love, but you know, here I'm, you know, eight, nine years old. And that's what I remember hearing come out of a radio uh, at the, at that young age. And so like, I was just hooked. I, I just loved radio. I loved the idea of sort of the theater of the mind. Um, the fact that with sports on the radio, you can't rely on images telling the story. You have to be the storyteller. You have to describe things to your audience. So I'd always had that, that interest um, from an entertainment standpoint. I was a big fan of WKRP in Cincinnati. Who wasn't? Great show. Um, and I can remember playing with, with my cousins who would be, would be around in the summer. Um, we, we would play radio. We'd play, uh, you know, newspaper reporter and stuff like that. Um, but when I went off to go to school, I went to be, I went to school to be a teacher. I was going to, I wanted to be a gym teacher and, and that was that. And so when I got to Carleton university, I discovered there was a, a campus radio station, campus community radio station, there's CKCU. And I, I remember reading about it and it said, Hey, if you're interested in, in learning about radio and volunteering, come on by. And I was like, wow. All right, cool. Uh, I don't know how much time I have, but let's, let's look into this. And they immediately put me to work on a, on a sports show. And I, within a year, I'm covering the NHL. Uh, I'm covering the CFL junior hockey, then professional baseball comes to, uh, to Ottawa and I'm covering that. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm living the dream here, right? Cause I'm going to school, I'm working part-time. And I have a press card that gets me into all these games, all these sporting events that I want to go to. All I got to do is send off a fax with my name, show up with this press card, and I'm in. Like it really was a, it was a very different time uh, than than it is, you know, 30 years later. Um, and and that's when I kind of realized, like, sort of looking around, going, "Huh, there are people here." doing what I'm doing and getting paid to do it. Like this is their job. Oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And yeah, slowly but surely then I started realizing, yeah, maybe this is something I could end up doing. Um, and I end up getting a job in promotions at a local radio station called uh, energy 1200. And, uh, then I end up getting a couple of on air shifts there. And eventually, um, I, I, I make it on air, you know, full time. And I'm, I'm the drive, uh, the, the afternoon drive host. That gets flipped to all sports radio in 1998. They keep me around as a, a co-host and reporter and producer. And really, that was it for me. I mean, as far as my my career goes, that was where it really was cemented for me. I started working in sports radio. And I worked in sports uh, broadcasting, whether it be radio or television, for you know the next seventeen years. So in Ottawa, doing sports radio, 
then moving to, to Toronto, doing sports radio, then working uh, in, in uh, television at Sportsnet, then making the move to uh, Sirius uh, XM and NHL Network Radio for a decade. Um, and, and then finally where I'm at now, which is AMI, called, it's uh, Accessible Media Inc., which is a broadcasting company that produces uh, audio and uh, TV shows and material for blind Canadians, always through the lens of accessibility and disability and, and really focusing in on issues that matter to the disability community. So, um, you know, certainly the last six years are a bit of a departure from what I did before, but, you know, for a long, long, long stretch there, uh, it was all about sports. And uh, I, I pivoted a bit in 2016 um, or 2015. But again, with what I do at AMI, there's a major element of description involved in what we do, which brings me all the way back to that eight-year-old who falls in love with radio because of the theater of the mind, because of the description involved, because of the words involved. And, you know, it all sort of comes full circle for me. So um, it, it, I was sort of a, a, a late uh, arrival as far as realizing, hey, maybe I could I can make a living doing this. But my love of radio started really, really, really young. So did mine as well. I grew up in the 70s. I was born in 72, and I used to listen to Ernie Harwell, Paul Carey cover the Tigers on WJR 760, and then uh, Tom Cheek, the late Tom Cheek, and Jerry Haworth on the Blue Jays radio network. And back then, sports, as Mike, you knew, uh, they weren't on TV as much as they are now. So back then, a lot of your sports stuff, you got off the radio. And I even grew up in the 80s uh, listening to the fan in New York at nighttime. That was like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Ottawa, the tough thing was we didn't have sports. And I mean, honestly, if you're more, if you're closer to to uh, Detroit, then you got more exposure to the U.S. Uh, radio frequencies. With us, we would get that, you know, at night once the sun went down. You'd get and and the frequencies were uh, were amplified. Then you could maybe pick up, you know, a St. Louis Cardinals game here or there, or something out of Chicago or uh, New York. Um, but we didn't have, we had the Expos, we had the Blue Jays and we had the CFL. So, you know, for me, voices like uh, Dean Brown, Dave Schreiber, um, uh, Ernie Calcutt, these are guys, uh, that are synonymous with Ottawa sports that I grew up with. And then Dave uh, Van Horn with Expos games and, uh, and, and, we weren't really big Blue Jay fans, right? I mean, back then for us, where I grew up, it, it was the Expos. We we were all about the Expos. So I didn't have much, a ton of exposure to the Blue Jays, but certainly a lot uh, with the Expos. Um, but we didn't have sports radio. So like what a different world it became when, you know, not only did you have the fan in Toronto, but then Ottawa gets its own sports radio station. And I get to be a part of that. Like, I mean, on the ground floor on that. So getting the opportunity to help build that and know that now, like today, all these years later, it's still going strong 23 years later. I mean, um, I, I'm really proud of having helped build that and, and the fact that it's still going um, because it ends up hopefully influencing 
some other young people out there that want to get into radio and, and keep keep that uh, that medium and keep uh, that interest in radio alive and keep it going. I was going to also ask you, Mike, did you have any mentor or mentors uh, when you were first starting out in the radio industry? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I started at energy 1200, the cool thing there was um, there was a guy by the name of uh, Robert W. Knight. He was our afternoon drive uh, disc jockey. And um, he was a guy that I listened to growing up. Like, so, so when I walk in this building and I see Robert W. Knight in the studio and I'm watching him work, it's like, wow, like this is, this seeing one of my, my heroes up close doing the job. Um, but there were so many people in that radio station. I mean, it, it was a different era because this was before you had uh, mass ownership where like nowadays you can have one company own, you know, four radio stations in a city. Back then, that wasn't the case. Most, the most a uh, company could own was two radio stations, uh, one AM, one FM. And the company that I worked for wasn't, you know, wasn't a Bell, wasn't a Rogers. It was the the Rawlinsons, the the Rawlinson family out of Saskatchewan. Uh, the company was called Ralco Communications, and they had mostly uh, they had radio stations in mostly medium to small market cities across the country. They had one uh, radio station in Toronto. Um, but, you know, the one in Ottawa was, to me, that was the big time. You know, it didn't get bigger than that for me. Toronto was never even anything that crossed my mind. So to to walk in there and to see Robert W. Knight uh, on the AM station and then, you know, people like uh, Red Allen, on, on the FM side, uh, Saul Jacobson, uh, Flash Ferguson was the sports guy. So there, yeah, there were a number of people. Wayne Parkinson was, was one of our news uh, guys there. These are all names of people who helped me in one way or another, whether it was a piece of advice, whether it was, you know, multiple conversations and, and, and uh, tips, career tips, writing tips. I got all kinds of help. Um, and I think a lot of that, it all sort of comes back to the fact that broadcasting in Canada is a very small industry. Um, and even now, where it's owned by these big companies, it's still produced by a very small number of people. And that's why I was saying, like with Tim Langdon, the uh, the uh, voice of the Blue Jays, you know, Tim and I had worked together. At, at, you know, at one point, 20 years ago, um, I'm covering a Blue Jays game maybe three years ago. And a gentleman sits down next to me at one point. Well, he was the head of Sportsnet when I was working at Sportsnet. And you look around the room and you realize there are a whole bunch of people here that I've either crossed paths with, crossed paths with at some point or worked with at some point, because that's how small the business is. And for the most part, the the older people, the more experienced people, are always looking to help the younger people along. Like it's not like it's a it's really as dog eat dog uh, as uh, as as it may be perceived. And so certainly in my early days, um, there were some great people in Ottawa that helped me along that I've mentioned there. Um, Dean Brown, Gord Wilson, uh, Brian Duff, guys that I worked with 
on Senators broadcast when I was the locker room reporter there. Tremendous influence on me there. And then I come to Toronto and I end up working with Jim Van Horn and Stephen Brunt and, you know, lifelong friendships with, with those two guys. And I mean, at the time, it's a couple of giants here, right? I mean, Van Horn is this, the face of the suppertime broadcast on, on TSN. Uh, Brunt, a, a very accomplished uh, writer, sports writer, but broadcaster as well. And so they they really helped me sort of develop my skills as a producer and reporter. And uh, once I got to Sportsnet, just so many people, you know, I think of of names like uh, Brad Fay, uh, Jody Vance, um, uh, Jim Lang, Jason Portwando, really nice, uh, friendly people. RJ Broadhead, you know, folks who have have got tremendous pressure on them to deliver ratings and deliver to deliver big shows, but always had a moment to talk, to say hi, to congratulate you on, on a good job. And to also help you when it wasn't so good, if there were mistakes, I, you know, I can, I can remember some, some times where the anchors would sort of pull you aside and say, Hey, this highlight pack that you wrote, yeah, this line here, that was wrong. I, I, I corrected it on the fly, but you were never embarrassed by that, right? Because it's making you better. So yeah, I've had, I've had tr- some tremendous mentors uh, over, over the years. And, and it's funny now to have that tag of mentor attached to me uh, in, in my broadcasting career now, because I'm being called upon to do that at AMI and in other situations. So it's kind of funny how that also comes full circle. And just as I was once the, the mentee, I'm now becoming the mentor, which, uh, you know, I, I hope I, I hope I can help some, some young folks and give them good advice because I certainly benefited from a lot on the way up. And I was going to say, Mike, uh, even though I'm 49 years old and I'm not 20 years old, and I just started this podcast a year and a half ago, and it took a while to get guests to come on, everyone in your profession or people like Jerry Haworth, Dan Shalman have, have come on my podcast, and it's just amazing. Everyone's been very supportive and positive of what I'm trying to do, and I haven't had anybody saying, ah, you're too old, you should move on to something else. Everyone's been really great, and that's why I have a passion for this, and and, I, and I'm, if I'm lucky enough Mike, one day to get in the radio industry, I'm going to pay it back for to somebody else who's trying to break in. Yeah, I think that's great. And and this is where, um, you know, it, it's a different time because you have a platform here. You have a platform that I, 20 years ago, didn't have. You know, how did, how did I break into it? I ended up going to a radio station at my university and getting a, a break there, getting a chance to volunteer uh, like you do with, with Rogers TV, I was doing with radio. And I gained a tremendous amount of experience. But beyond that, there was there was no way for me to do what you're doing now and what so many people uh, get an opportunity to do now. And, you know, you know my thing is, the the power of the podcast is amazing because it can you can reach a worldwide audience from your own home without you know having to get a whole bunch of complicated technology involved 
and you can share that passion and whether it's someone who, you know, wants to make a career out of it or just enjoys talking about a particular topic, you can share that passion with the world on a platform that just wasn't there for so many of us now. So, so, you know, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for people like you who are, you know, putting their time into this and, and trying to build something out of it. And whether it's about using it as a, as a springboard into something else professionally, or people who just, just enjoy doing the show that they're doing. Uh, I, I just think it's great. And I think it's, it's a really interesting time for any aspiring broadcaster out there <clears throat> to have this, uh, this platform available to them this way. I think it's really cool. And I had a gentleman in Philadelphia, his name's Jamie, help me out with my podcast. He's the one that put me on StreamYard. And uh, I did a lot of my podcasts originally solo by myself. And then I, I just kept working at it, Mike, and I started getting big name guests like yourself and other people, uh, John Murphy, Bob Soshi. And it's been unbelievable that guys that are uh, in the NFL, the NBA, yourself, uh, I reach out to people and tell them what I'm doing and, and majority get back to me and they want to come on my podcast. So I'm very lucky to be able to do this. Yeah. You, you know, and, and it's, I think it's great that you're getting that kind of response um, because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're for like, for me, I'm a fan, right? Like, like I told you, the Maple Leafs are playing a game tonight. Um, you know, I'm going to go down and plunk in my chair and I'm going to watch the game and I'm going to cheer for them just like everybody else. And even when I'm at the rink, you know, I have a job to do, but at, at the heart of it, I'm, I'm a fan first. And I think, I think we all are. And whether you're doing, whether you're, you're broadcasting for the local team and you can have, be a little bit of a homer on your broadcast or you're broadcasting on a national broadcast where you're given both sides equal amounts of love. At the end of the day, you're still a fan. And why would you not want to share that every time you can, every opportunity you have? And these podcasts, you know, I think I can remember, believe me, I can remember the early days when the word podcast first started showing up. And, and it was like, it was as if members of the media, of, the, of sort of the mainstream out there, the you know, radio people, you know, uh, beat writers. It was almost like they felt threatened by it. And like, oh, that guy, you know, that podcaster, he's covered. Well, how, how does he get a press pass? How is he in here? It was a very, very uh, kind of hostile environment for, for early podcasters. That's completely changed, right? Like things have, and, and it's the same thing with blogging, with sports blogging and the blogging has led to the establishment of things like the athletic and look at the brand that that's become. Right. So there, I think there's, there's just so much room for all kinds of participation um, through whether it's blogging, writing, broadcasting, and, and with the podcasts, uh, I think one of the reasons that, that you're having the success that you are having at getting people involved is they're all fans and they love to talk about their team. They love to share some of their knowledge with you, with your audience. And, you know, at the end of the day, if there are no fans listening to what we do, 
then, you know, how much longer are we going to survive? Right. So it's, it's mutually beneficial to, uh, to support each other, work with each other and help each other. Okay. Are you still okay? I might just for a couple more minutes, a couple more questions. Okay. Absolutely. And one thing I've learned on this too, Mike, is listening, improving my listening skills. Because sometimes when you ask a guest, uh, they can answer one question, but give you the answers to five or six more questions. So that I've been working on the last year is uh, working on my listening skills too. You know what? It's a tremendous point. And, uh, you know, it's something that I uh, had to learn early on in my career because I would prepare for interviews uh, when I was first starting uh, at NHL radio and I'd write out all my questions and I'd have like 25 questions that in, all in an order. And I would ask each one of those questions in that order. And not long into it, I had uh, uh, one of uh, one of our other hosts take me aside and say, you know, go back and listen to, you know, whatever the interview was. And, you know, the third question, listen to the question you asked and listen to the answer, really listen to the answer. And it turned out that in the answer, there was just a gem of an opening for a great follow-up that I really, I do believe would have you know, brought the interview in a completely different direction. It would have been amazing. But I missed it because all I did was follow the exact list of questions that I had, and I didn't deviate from that, which meant I wasn't really listening. And the best interviews that you can have are, I think, where there's conversation because you listen to the person that you're talking to and that you're listening to their answers, and maybe there's a nugget there that you can pick up on. And, and have a follow-up. So it's important to do your homework, right? You mentioned Jerry Howarth. Oh, yeah. I've known Jerry for a long time. And I remember learning, one of, one of the first things I learned about Jerry was he will go <clears throat> to a game <clears throat> when, when he was with the Blue Jays with a pile of papers, probably two dictionaries thick. And I'm, so I mean like really thick, like a couple of phone books here of notes for that game. Mm-hmm. He might only get through 40% of those notes and then the rest get thrown out because they were, they were only good for one game. And I remember somebody saying, well, that's a lot of work for nothing. Well, no, it's not because that night he didn't need all those extra notes, but you never know when you're going to run into a 10, 11, 12, 18 inning game when you've got suddenly five, six hours to fill. And if you've done your homework and you you never know what's going to come up during yep. the game. So if you've done your homework, you can go anywhere that the game takes you. And it's the same thing. And, and that's how Jerry was. He could go anywhere that the game would take him because he did his homework. And it's the same thing in prepping for an interview. You do your homework. You have the questions that you're, you, you the areas that you want to sort of explore, but Mm-hmm. You want to have the ability to go where your guest takes you. And that to me is, is you know, like you've picked up on probably the most, one of the most important parts of, uh, of interviewing. Absolutely. Like I said, I'm just trying to get better on this every day, every week and keep learning. And yep. that's the thing. It's a learning process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Okay, and I won't keep you too much longer, Mike. Just a couple more questions. Um, do you remember your first game as a Leafs PA announcer, and were you a little bit nervous at the time? <laughs> a little bit, okay. Uh, 100%. Now, there there are two quote-unquote first games. So when I the first event I did for the Maple Leafs was part of training camp, um, which was happening in Halifax. We did the uh, Leafs alumni game. Uh, on the first night I was in Halifax. And on the second night, we did Toronto and Ottawa uh, exhibition game. So those were my first games, per se. My first home game, uh, my first home opener, was um, against the Boston Bruins. And it was it was unreal because that's the night we had the ceremony where all the honored numbers, right? The Maple mm-hmm. Leafs were a team that did not have a bunch of retired numbers. They had two retired jerseys and then the others were considered honored numbers. But on that night, as part of the hundredth anniversary kickoff, they retired all those jerseys. So we had about a 30 minute ceremony, which you can still find on YouTube um, where it was just me talking for like 24 minutes straight. Wow. Um, and you know, you're talking about historic legends uh, of Leafs Nation and in their jerseys going up to the rafters. And so kicking off the 100th anniversary season, kicking off uh, with the with the 100 top Maple Leafs of all time, and then announcing those jersey retirements. Um, yeah, it doesn't get much more nerve wracking than that. Like I was I was on edge the whole time and and once that puck dropped and it's cool i have a framed photo down in my basement um it's a panoramic shot of the air canada center uh, as the puck's dropping on that game and i can remember that once that puck dropped whew, did i ever take a breath and just like everything just finally slowed down again for me um, that was, that was an unbelievable night. I mean, uh, you know, Dave Keon, Daryl Sittler, Johnny Bauer, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Horton family, um, Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark, uh, on and on and on. It was, it was a tremendous night and that was, that was my first, you know, when you think of the, the, the different events I've had the opportunity to do in in the the five seasons now into my sixth you know hall of fame nights the centennial classic the outdoor game um you you think of the the many many ceremonies we do our remembrance day night uh, our remembrance day games our our pregame ceremonies our canadian forces nights our hockey fights cancer nights so many great events that i've had an opportunity to, to be a part of but from a historic standpoint to this point doesn't really get much bigger than that first night with all those Jersey numbers and banners going to the rafters. I mean, that was, that was incredible. And that's one that to this day, because it's on YouTube, um, usually once a season, at least I'll, I'll sort of swing on to YouTube and, and watch that over again. Cause it, the music, um, the reaction of the crowd, the reaction of the players, 
like it was just so genuine and so real. Um, yeah, that was that was an unbelievable start to uh, what has been an absolutely dream job for me. Okay, uh, are you still okay for five more minutes? Or? Yeah, for sure. Okay, no problem. Um, the next one I wanted to ask you, th this one I forgot to ask um, Tommy Edwards, uh, the Bulls legendary PA guy, but what is a daily day or a normal day like on a game day for uh, uh, being a public address announcer for the Maple Leafs at Scotiabank Arena? So for me, um, it, it kind of starts sort of mid-morning. I get an email from our PR department that has all the media notes for that night. And that includes the roster for the other team. So at that point, I, you know, I, I start looking through uh, the other team's roster and I'm, I'm double checking to see um, if there are any names that, that sort of stand out as names that I'm going to need help figuring out the pronunciation. Um, because that's, that, I mean, that's really one of the biggest parts of the job is making sure that you're pronouncing names correctly. So for me, for example, um, we were playing, uh, most recently we were playing the LA Kings. And the announcer for the um, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a guy by the name of Ryan Mill, he came up, he put together a website a few years back called Announcer Help. And we all contribute, all the PA announcers from the NHL contribute to, to him to maintain this website. And we get an opportunity to upload the audio of us reading our team's roster. And he puts it up on this website. So I have access to the roster of these of all the other teams and be, being able to hear their PA guy announce their team's roster. So if there's a name that I'm not sure about, um, so for example, we had LA here the other night. I'm just sort of flipping through here to see. Oh yeah, here's one that, let me, I, I don't know if the microphone will pick this up, but we'll try this. Uh, there we go. Rasmus, where are you? There we go. Rasmus Kupari. So Rasmus Kupari. Uh, I wasn't sure about the uh, pronunciation of it. So Trevor Raybone is the PA announcer for the LA Kings. That was his voice that you just heard. So he's uploaded onto this website, his entire roster of guys who could potentially be playing for the LA Kings this year. And then I have the ability to hear how he pronounces that guy's name. So thanks to this website, the, the, the players will be, introduced in every arena the way they are in their home arena because that's how their home guy does it that's how i'm going to do it so it's a pretty cool tool to have access to and so i go through the roster and i double check any names i'm not familiar with and make sure i got the right pronunciation and then um you know just sort of go through my day uh you know with my job in the morning at ami on the morning show there come home for a few hours usually try and get a bit of a snooze in in the afternoon and then, uh, you know, hop in the suit and tie and head out to the rink. And then it's double checking the, uh, the, the roster, see if there are any guys who've been called up at the last minute. Do we need to make any changes there going through the entire script that I have for the game? So there are different elements that I have to read as part of the pregame. Um, certainly within the game, we have certain features 
that sometimes involve in, uh, introducing people. So I got to double check and make sure that there are no names that, that present any difficulty there. And if they do, then I got to get the information and just, you know, prepare my workstation. So having my, I've got my score sheet ready. I've got my roster ready. I put it in, in the same spot every game and I tape them down. And, you know, there's, there's just a process of preparing uh, for the game, grab a bite to eat, and then, then just we're, we're ready to go. Now, in non-COVID times, usually uh, about an hour before, excuse me, about an hour before the game, we get tours coming through the building. Um, so we're meeting with fans and, and answering questions and, and such for uh, for about 40 minutes before the players hit the ice for warm-up. And, uh, and then, you know, warm-up ends and off we go. We're jumping into the script. We're jumping into the pregame and uh and we're gonna have a night and so so it's a busy day it starts early and it ends late but um you know it's it's a lot of fun and and what's what is, is really important to always remember as you're doing the job is uh you got a job to do right so tr- you can't get fully engrossed as a fan uh all the time because you got to stay on top of the game and, and relay that information to to the fans in the building uh so you you you, you try and, and and be a fan as much as you can and that's why like for road games you know like i really fan out right like i i i got my t-shirt on i got my i've got my maple leafs uh, turvis glass here ready to go and you know i become a, a full-fledged fan i don't have a job to do tonight i'm cheering all the way uh, but when you're in the rank, there is first and foremost a job to do. And uh, we've got some of the best in the game doing it with us every every single night. Definitely. And the last question I wanted to ask you, I had to ask you this one, is who came up with the idea to use Hall & Oates Make My Dreams Come True as a Leafs goal song a couple years ago? If I remember correctly, it was it came from the players like a lot of the a lot of the i mean certainly the the warm up music and all that comes from the players and i believe that's where it came from they somebody heard it and this is something you hear about all the time right it was the same thing in in st louis when uh, when gloria during mm-hmm. their stanley cup run gloria was their tune somebody heard it playing in the dressing room and it just stuck like the, the guys loved it they went with it and with hollow notes same deal guys love it the fans in the building, when it trails off after the the face off after a goal, you still hear the the crowd singing it, right? So, so yeah, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I love it, and uh, I know that Holland Oates have tweeted about it; they love it, and I know that uh, when it gets played in the building, people sing along with it. So people love it in the building too. So, yeah, I believe if I'm not mistaken, it came out of uh, players hearing it and it just sort of grew from there. Okay. And I know with the Sabres this year, um, they're doing individual goal songs. Apparently they uh, changed Mm -hmm. it. Do you think that will happen with the Leafs and other teams across the league? I think there are some teams that, that do it, that have done it in the past. I know in talking to uh, my cousin, who is the DJ for the senators, um, I know that he's done it in, in Ottawa in the past. The difficulty with that is, um, you know, when, when it's obvious who scores the goal, then yeah, sure. It sounds great. But if, if it's a deflection in tight and you play, you know, if you were to play a song for John Tavares, 
everybody singing and bopping to the John Tavares song because he just scored a goal. But then I come on the microphone, you know, 45 seconds later, and I announce that it was William Nylander goal, William Nylander's goal or Jake Muzzin's goal. Everybody thinks John tipped it, but in fact, it wasn't his goal. Then I don't know. Does that take away from the experience? I don't know. You know, should it have been, should we have played Jake Muzzin's song if Jake scored the goal? I don't know. I just know that I've seen that happen in the past with uh, with, with my cousin doing it and and him, him talking to me about that experience that you don't, they don't always get it right, right? They don't always get the goal score, right? The referees don't always see the, the goal score. So you, do you want to play the wrong song? So is it, you know, I think it's it's easy when it's obvious. And I think hindsight is also 2020. So, you know, when it's an obvious goal and someone says, see, we should have individual goal songs. Okay. It makes sense in that instance. But now let's move, let's fast forward here and go to a goal where it's not so obvious. What do you do then? Who do you, whose song do you play? Do you play the, the, the song of the defenseman who took the shot from the blue line or one of the three guys who's in front of the net who might've tipped it? You don't know. Good right? point. And so from a game from a game presentation standpoint, it's not as easy as it seems. And that's the, the one thing that I can tell you I've learned is that fans, as much as they know about the game of hockey, the 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 job and the process followed by game presentation is really unknown. Not a lot of people understand how a goal goes from being scored to being announced in the arena. So, and, and that every rank has a different sort of protocol depending on their setup. So I'm sitting upstairs in, in my booth, way above the ice, above the press box. I am one of, um, when I started, about half the league, the announcers sat upstairs somewhere in their arena and about half sat in the penalty box. When you're in the penalty box, the referee comes over and he says, you know, 17 from 18 and 20. And you write that down and you announce it. If he gets it wrong, you now have to announce a correction. And you're taking away from the fans concentration on the game. And why? All that information is available on NHL.com. Almost every fan in that building has a phone where they can look it up. And what's to me, what is the immediate rush? It's kind of like with news, right? Like there's always seems to be this battle to get it first. And what we seem to sometimes miss out on is getting it right. Mm-hmm. So with us, our process is the information on a goal gets given to the penalty box. They call it upstairs. Upstairs has the goal scorer. They do a video review for the assists. They call it over to me. I announce it. If the assists are unclear, then it takes more time. And I cannot announce anything until I have it from the NHL office officials. A lot of people don't understand that. Wow. And so a lot of people are frustrated when sometimes it takes a minute or two minutes of real time, if not sometimes longer, to announce a goal. But I 
cannot give you incomplete information or incorrect information. So I have to wait until they call it over to me. And I remember a guy giving me heck on Twitter a few weeks ago. Um, I think we were playing Montreal and there was a, a two on one by the Canadians. And when I announced the goal, the information was so-and-so with the goal, this guy on the assist and this other guy on the secondary assist. And this guy was a Montreal fan giving me heck for announcing that third or the third pointer, the second assist, because in his mind, all that mattered was it was a two on one. That's the only things you should be announcing. And it was like, well, no, I have protocol that I have to follow. And he said, you should just be announcing what makes sense. And I said, no, that's not how the job works. You announce what you are told to announce. We are an extension of the office officials of the NHL. So what they give me, I announce. And they review it to make sure it's right. And then they give it to me. So I... Sometimes I think it's important to pull that curtain back a little bit and give people uh, a little bit of a look and understanding of how it works because they're, they're, the criticism or the frustration um, is, is understandable. But once they sort of you know, understand how the, the process works, then they're, they're, they're a little less quick at jumping on on the announcer and criticizing the announcer and wondering you know why is it taking that guy so long well it's because he doesn't have the information yet right like i don't i don't just watch i'm not watching a screen and and coming up with the information myself i do not have the power to award goals and assists to players willy-nilly as i wish right like it's got to come from the nhl officials so so it's interesting uh you know how that sort of works sometimes and and i think you know, when we were talking earlier about how you as a podcaster have a platform now that's that that's just tremendous. It's it's available to you and it opens you up to the world and opens the world up to you. Social media is kind of like that for me, where I, you know, interact with people on social media and can pull that curtain back for them. And so they can come to me and say, How come it takes how come it took this long to announce that goal? Then you explain to them, well, here are the different steps that have to happen. Oh. I didn't know that. No. And why would you? I mean, honestly, you're so used to as a fan to just turn on the TV or be at the arena and it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you've never been shown how all, all the different hoops that are jumped through in order to get from point A to point B. So I understand that. That's why I'm never, ever, ever frustrated about sharing that information and answering those questions where I do get a little frustrated was when I got somebody like that Montreal fan who was just basically telling me to to do whatever I wanted and to disregard, you know, the protocols of the job. And it's like, eh, no, not really. That's not how it works. So, so it's fun. It's fun to educate sometimes a little bit and, and uh, to share that information and see someone who's a lifelong hockey fan go, wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. I learned something new and, and I'm, I'm right along with them. I love learning new stuff. So I'm always happy to share. And that's the one great thing about my podcast. Um, 80% of it's sports. And then I'm branching out into actors, comedians, and that too. And every guest that comes on here has a story and I learn stuff and I love learning new stuff. And today I just learned about four or five new things from you as well. Well, that's great. And, And that's what I love to do because, you know, go back to the early days when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a teacher. That's really at the core of who I am, which is one of the reasons why I've been coaching youth baseball for 30 years. 
why I, at, at different points in my life, I've coached uh, soccer, basketball, hockey. Uh, I think, you know, at my core, I'm, I'm a teacher. And whether it's radio, whether it's, you know, sports announcing, whether it's sports, I think it's just at, at the base of who I am. So I'm, I always welcome an opportunity to, to sort of help out, pass on, uh, you know, the knowledge and, and experience that I have. Okay. And just the last question for you, Mike, um, any advice for those looking to pursue a career in radio, not just myself and possibly as a public address announcer and where can my audience find you again on social media? So I'm on, um, on uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter at Rossi on the mic, R O S S Y on the M I C. Um, I think the best advice I can give anybody is um, you're already kind of doing it is get experience wherever you can. You're not always going to get paid to do it, but in reality, you are getting paid to do it. You're getting paid an experience and there's nothing more valuable than that. I mean, money's great, but the experience that you're going to gain from whether you know you volunteer at Rogers TV, I did that. I did play-by-play -play, uh, for Rogers Television in Ottawa. Um, I volunteered at CKCU for three years, did my own radio show, didn't make a dime, but certainly got a lot of experience. That's the biggest thing. Um, you know, we all want to break into into the business, we all want to make our contacts, but you need to, if you hit the ground running, if you've built up a, a real good base of experience and, and then you head out into, into the job market and you've, whether you've graduated from a program or you've got all these years experience volunteering with community TV or community radio, it's invaluable. So I always say, you know, never say no to any opportunity you have um, understand that you might not always get paid for it, but you are, you really are paid for it. You're paid for it in the experience that you're gaining and where that, where that takes you, who knows you, you just, you never, ever know. So don't turn down any opportunity. Take it, uh, take full advantage of it. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Mike. And, uh, have you ever thought about going on cameo or a memo, uh, like some of these other guys doing it? Yeah, I sent something yeah. into one of those companies yeah. and never heard back from them. Um, oh. it, it's, it's it's weird. I also I remember um, approaching a Twitter recently when they were verifying people. You had the blue check marks, and uh, and I was turned down. So oh. it's like, uh, okay, well, whatever. Um, you know, doesn't affect how I do what I do. Um, and I have tremendous interaction with uh, uh, with fans through uh, through Twitter, through Instagram. And, you know, ultimately that's, that's, that's fine by me. The, uh, the, the, the cameo stuff and everything, uh, I, I would love to do. I, I remember during the, um, during the initial, uh, shutdown because of COVID, I was doing individual goal calls for folks and, uh, they started asking if they could donate to, uh, charity in exchange for a goal, a video goal call. And so, uh, you know, I was able to, through that raise a lot of money for MLSE Launchpad uh, and, and other charities that, uh, that people chose to donate to. So, um, you know, if I ever did hook up with any of those entities, then there, there'd have to be a, a charitable uh, aspect to it. But uh, so far, you know, haven't been able to hook up with those guys, but it has not at all affected 
the interactions that I can have with Maple Leaf fans through uh, through Twitter, through Instagram. So I want to keep that going as much as we can. I was going to say again, Mike, I really uh, appreciate you coming on live with CDP podcast today. Uh, like I said, I just try to reach out to people and that's really great. And I told one guy too, even though I'm, I've sat in my team's Red Wings, Tigers, Pistons, when I'm talking to people from other sports teams, I sort of have to have a little bit of a rooting interest. So don't tell too many of my Detroit fans this, but I might have to start to kind of sort of like like the lease a little bit because like i said uh i really like i said it was great talking to you today about your career in radio and the behind the scenes of being a public address announcer as well well listen i'm really thank you for the invitation uh i really enjoyed it and i can tell you um you know especially in the world of hockey you know i may not like the montreal Canadiens, i may not like the boston bruins i may not like a lot of teams in the nhl but i like the people and mm-hmm. that's the, the the one great thing is, you know, I've I've made a lot of great friends throughout the NHL, and and nothing will ever take away from that, you know. So so it's it's kind of like the players will say, you know, the we fight it out on the ice, but after the game, we're all friends, and it's no different for uh, for the PA guys. Uh, we uh, we compete, we like to rib each other a lot, but at the end of the day. You know, we know how lucky we are to do what we do, and it's a it's a pretty small brotherhood uh, of uh, of PA announcers around the NHL. So we're all pretty tight, but hey, we're also very competitive, right? So, and that's okay. It's okay to be competitors, but you can still like the people behind it. And that's why I love doing this podcast. Uh, it's not just building contacts. I've actually made a few friendships out of this as well, and it's the people, like you said, Mike. Yep, a hundred percent. Couldn't say it better. Okay, well, I'm going to let you go so you can get ready for the Leafs-Flyers game tonight. Good luck to your Leafs. And uh, hopefully the Red Wings and the Leafs will make will face off at each other in the playoffs one day because 1993 has been a long time. It sure has. Absolutely. So, Thank you very much. Great Thank to be you here. so much, Mike. Take care. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Okay, man. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast today with Mike Ross, the longtime uh, public address announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs and longtime radio personality. And uh, like I said, uh, I'm just going to play a little clip uh, from behind the scenes of a Maple Leafs game day presentation, and then we'll wrap up the the podcast as well. Just one second, guys. I'm just going to play a little footage of a behind the scenes of a Leafs game day presentation. When you come to a Leafs game in the building, you know you can expect to cheer on the boys in blue. But what you may not expect is the actual presentation of the game. Everything from the production to the music to the in-arena hosts and so much more. Today we're taking you behind the scenes to show you how the Leafs are truly making the in-game fan experience top-notch. Let's go. First stop, the control room. I'm here with Taylor Dean, manager of game presentation for the Toronto Maple Leafs. She directs the in-game experience and is really the central hub. Taylor, tell us a little bit about what your job is. I like being in the central hub. (laughs) Um, No, uh, my job, I'm the game director here. Um, So basically overseeing all of the live entertainment that happens um, at the arena uh, during a Leafs game. Mm -hmm. So 
things like music, ceremonies, our blue crew, the people in the stands throwing the t-shirts, um, anything that we do with the video board, working with our awesome control room to make sure that that all runs out smoothly and to time and um, basically trying to give the best in-game experience to our fans uh, that we can. So what are the roles in the control room? Oh, there's lots. We've got technical directors, camera operators, producers, um, an AD, we've got audio, we've got people who are doing uh, like EVS and playback and mm -hmm. Chiron, so all the fonts you see, um, video playout, and um, there's so much more that I probably miss everything. We just spoke to Taylor, but now I want to learn a little bit more about how everyone's roles really come together. So let's head into the second control room. I'm here with Dan McPhee, show director here at MLSC. Now, Dan, what does that mean? What does show director mean? When you come to the arena to see a game, you are sitting there in the seats watching the game. But every time something important happens, you look up to the big screen that's hanging over center ice to see replays and that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing that uh, that we do is we try to entertain the fans during those commercial breaks and timeouts and during the intermissions. So I'm looking at the switcher here. Is there any possibility I could try something? Sure, absolutely. So right now on the program, we see this graphic, this Toronto Maple Leaf logo. So that is this button right here. So it turns red. That's red. So okay. whatever's on air lights up as a red. So down on this row of buttons below, we've got different cameras which show up in the other monitor. Okay. If you put your hand on that T-bar right there yep. and then just pull it down, there you go. That is awesome. I think it could be a switcher now. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, there are a lot of moving parts, but what about the live music? I'm headed into the organ loft right now to chat with Jimmy Holmstrom. Let's go. You've been doing this for, correct me if I'm wrong, 30 years? That's that's correct. We're in our 30th season and having, and having fun, still, still playing music. Okay, so walk us through what your job is on a game-by-game -game basis. My job is to uh, play the organ and or sound bites when, when, when the, the right time comes along. <laughs> it is forever. And of course, it's always about the leaves. I'm so fascinated by what you do. Is there anything that I can try? Absolutely. And this is a thing that everybody in the world wants to do. You get the shot. My favorite is when, when I hear this song, that means we've just scored. But before that song happens, I got to hit the goal horn. The goal horn. It's you. <gasps> Go, Em. All right, so it's almost game time. I've got a spot right beside Taylor, and we're about to see her in action. Stand by. In three, two, one. Stand by for a goalie scope. Nope, it works. Let's try for Scotia Skater on the next whistle, guys. Scotia Skater on the next whistle. So, Kale, I need an instrumental coming from you. All right, buddy? Thanks, Sarah. Now that we've seen how everything works in the control room, let's head down to event level in goal, where we'll be able to find our game presentation coordinator, the in arena host, and my favorite, Carlton the Bear. Let's go. I'm here with Melissa Bromley, coordinator of game presentation for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Melissa, you yeah. seem like you are very busy on game nights. What <laughs> yeah. is your role? 
Um, I'm our coordinator, so basically I floor direct everything, and that means anything to do on the floor, uh, whether it's any promotion, whether wherever the hosts are. I'm with the host cell game. Um, we deal with any execution that happens, whether it's a t-shirt toss, um, jersey toss, basically anything. We're on the floor level, making sure everything's running smoothly. Can we follow you around? Because I feel like it would be so much fun. Yeah, let's do it. What are we about to do right now? So we have first came out that has to happen. It's a little sing-along, and then our second came out is a jersey toss. Most are waiting. The series just started, so there's still some crowds. So we got the jerseys ready to go. Ready to go. One of my faves, Carlton the Bear. Carlton, can I follow you around for a bit? You think we could do that? Let's go? Okay, let's go. Okay, so we're about to turn your fans up right now. We'll be starting a slow clap. And of course, you can't forget the Blue Crew. Oh, I think my favorite part about today was just learning how everyone works so closely together and you just see how much really goes into the making of the in-game fan experience. Keep that in mind next time you're here for a Leafs game in the building. Bye. Anyways, guys, I hope you again enjoyed my podcast with uh, public address announcer Mike Ross of the Maple Leafs and the little six-minute video clip uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs about the in-game presentation uh, behind the scenes uh, before a uh, Maple Leafs game in uh, at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. Uh, the Maple Leafs tonight take on the Flyers at 7.30, and then the next Leafs home game is uh, this Friday night uh, against the Calgary Flames as well. Anyways, guys, and as for my Red Wings, the Red Wings are back home at the Little Caesars Arena tomorrow night, Thursday night, to take on the Capitals after their 4-2 win over the Oilers last night. Uh, the Red Wings are now 7-5-2, and two, have won three in a row, and are in second place in the Atlantic Division. And also, guys, just to let you know, uh, the Gulf Storm are back home this Friday night. Uh, Friday, November 12th at 7.30 against the Erie Otters at the Sleeman Center. Game is live on Rogers TV. I'll be doing camera work and on CJOY 1460 uh, with Larry Malott. The Storm went 2-1-1 one, one on their four-game uh, road trip. Six out of eight possible points, including a 4-3 win in overtime last night in London. Nine seconds into overtime, Danny Zilkinen uh, scored the winning goal on a miscue by the London Knights uh, defenseman as well. So uh, let's see. My next live with CDP podcast will be this Friday, November 12th at 1 o'clock. Friday, November 12th at 1 o'clock. I uh, guess Shauna Brown, a singer, songwriter, model, actress from Toronto. So I hope you guys can tune in live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for that as well. And also, guys, just to let you know, live with CDP podcast, the audio version, always downloaded onto uh, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker. Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and on my LinkedIn page as well. So if you guys can't watch this live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, on audio as well. I just want to say thank you to everybody who watched this live on my YouTube channel. Uh, please hit subscribe and like uh, to the Chris Pame Live with CDP podcast on YouTube. And also thank you to everyone watching live on Twitter at Chris D. Pame and on my Facebook live stream as well. And also, guys, you can check me out on TikTok at Live with CDP. I do a lot of... Uh, 
content uh, marketing promos about my podcast on uh, TikTok as well. And also, guys, again, if you want to follow Mike, you can follow him on Instagram and also Mike on Twitter at Rossi on the mic, uh, one of the best uh, PA announcers in the NHL and in pro sports. And also, guys, you can check out the Maple Leafs website, MapleLeafs.com. And that's about it uh, for tonight's podcast. Like I said, guys, um, Thursday night football uh, tomorrow night. You got the Ravens six and two at the Miami Dolphins two and seven eight twenty uh, kickoff as well. And also, guys, you got uh, Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday travel to Denver uh, four twenty five kickoff to take on the five and four Broncos in the Mile High City. Uh, the Eagles come off a twenty four seventeen loss, or sorry, twenty seven twenty four loss to the Chargers. Denver came off a huge upset thirty to sixteen on Dallas uh, over Dallas on Sunday as well. And one question I wanted to ask you guys before I go, CDP question of the week, who is the biggest surprise in the NFL so far in 2021 and which team has been the biggest disappointment? My biggest disappointment would be the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. And biggest surprise, uh, I would say... um, I would say the uh, the Vegas Raiders and the Titans. I wouldn't say. I would say the Vegas Raiders is a, a, the biggest surprise and the biggest disappointment. I would say Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs as well. Anyways, guys, uh, I'm going to call this a show. But I just want to say thank you to everybody again for uh, watching this live or on YouTube uh, as well. And uh, like I said, guys, uh, I'm looking forward to my next podcast show. I'm just trying to bring it up here. And uh, yeah. My next podcast show is going to be this Friday, November 12th, again at 1 o'clock Eastern. Uh, guest is Shauna Brown, singer, songwriter, model, actress from Toronto. Anyways, guys, uh, again, I want to say thank you to my guest, Mike Ross, uh, the public address announcer for the Leafs and a longtime radio personality in Toronto, and he's from Ottawa. Thank you so much for coming on live with CDP. And guys, everybody, I really appreciate you all watching me on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and uh we look forward to talking to you, uh, you guys Friday at 1 o'clock for another edition of Live with CDP. Have a great night, guys, and enjoy the hockey games.